0: Hello, this is Joshua Bell from The Kilt in the Cloth. This was my sermon from March 7th, 2021. I hope you enjoy and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Again, it feels weird to say this out loud. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles... It's found in your pew Bibles on page 88 in the New Testament section. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal, for your house will consume. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture, and the word that Jesus had spoken. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. The fascinating part for me is is in this passage of Scripture, this is in between the story of Jesus' first miracle that found in John chapter 2, which is the turning the water into wine, and the story of Nicodemus we find in chapter 3. It's a beautiful lesson. However, in the Gospel of John, you find that this passage of Scripture is early on in the story of Jesus. Whereas in the Synoptic Gospels, put it at the end. Of his journey. In the Holy Week experience. Jesus finding this. Temple court full of mercenaries. And while this is happening. It is important for us to understand. That this is still during Passover. And Jesus. As he comes into the temple courts. Discovers that somehow. These courts of Gentiles. And the. The men and the women have now been turned into a shopping mall of goods and services set up like a bazaar. Now, look, it's important to recognize that his anger is well documented. And he, we always hear the story about how he makes this whip and he drives them out and he overturns their tables and it causes quite a bit of chaos. And, honestly, in this story, it brings him in direct argument with the religious authorities of the time. And it begins to create a difference between the literal and the spiritual that goes throughout this whole story. So I want to paint a picture for you. Jesus isn't mad, necessarily, at the money changers. I know that you've heard the story preached probably a dozen times, if not a hundred times, about how this is the opportunity for Jesus to get mad. And we hear this passage of Scripture always used in an aspect of ministers having, or people of faith having the ability to have a righteous anger, to stand up for what is right, and, not, and to diminish what was wrong. But it's more than that. It's so much more that we need to spend a little bit of time in understanding this. <coughs> this place that Jesus has ar- arrived at is fully ground. It's sacred, you see. To all those that are in there, they recognize that it's something special. God stepped on this ground that they're in. Now I want you to think about what that means. A whole culture that believes that God walked in this very place, this temple that they're all in, as your first problem. So now you've got the place that God dwells that everybody is seeing, that everybody is participating in. And there's this moment where God is in this place. And then there's the problem of the laziness of the culture. I want you to imagine, see, because we talk about this quite a bit. This up here is not an altar. It's very important that you understand this. Because in the Christian faith, we we don't do burnt offerings. So this is not an altar, this is a communion table. We don't, take, we don't put things on it, we take things off of it. Does that make sense? So, so for the Jewish faith, however, they had an altar. And in this altar was something sacred, again, where the presence of the divine was. And the only time that this place was mattered was that when we would go, or as Jews would go, to be forgiven of their sins. Now let's talk about that for just a second. There's a really big problem with the word sin, and I want to make sure that we get this correct. In the Hebrew language, the word for sin, again, is kata, which is an archery term. It literally means to miss the mark that you were aiming at. In the Jewish faith, the only time that you see that word "kata" show up right at the very beginning of the Hebrew Bible is in the story of Cain and Abel, not Adam and Eve. So, however you've been brought up and understand, that's fine. But please understand that the word sin does not show up in the Adam and Eve story. It shows up in the Cain and Abel story for the Hebrew culture. Cain and Misses the mark. He kills his brother. He plays the role of God. For the Hebrew culture, any time that you do that, if I decide to place judgment on someone, I'm playing God. If I decide to kill someone, I've taken away the ruach of life of that person. I'm playing God. Any time that I've decided that I don't love my brother or my sister, I'm playing God. So for them, katah means that when I miss the mark, I'm trying to be like God and I have to be forgiven for that. And it's not like I can just come in and sit down and go, okay, God, forgive me. Everything's fine. You have to give up of something of yourself in order for God to be a part of that existence and to create a moment of forgiveness for the Hebrew culture. So to put things on the altar was not just to say, oh, I yelled at my children this week, so I'm now going to burn a pigeon, and everything's going to be fine. No, it had to be something that you gave of yourself. If I'm a farmer, I have to give of my first fruits. There's no question of what I give to God. I, 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 I plant 100 acres, 10 of those acres go to God. If I'm a hunter and I kill ten deer, one of those deer is going to go to God. Right off the bat, there's no questions about how that works. But what would happen if it didn't mean anything to you? What would you think about that for a minute? What if the aspect of the ritual was just that? It was just going through the motions saying the words but not really caring about what it means I had a church one time that said to me I needed to preach more about the Lord's prayer I was like oh yeah and they said well yeah because I don't think people understand how powerful those words are and of course my argument was well you're right but do we take everything that we do in worship serious you see Jesus is mad at the misunderstanding of what is happening. He's mad at the fact that, for some reason, the people of God, the people that God promised, have turned the narthex or the temple courts into a fast food court of forgiveness. Faith made easy and acceptable. And it's been made acceptable by the, the authorities of the time. This should challenge us in the midst of this chaos. Take the story out of him throwing the tables up and throwing the money around, and all of a sudden you really get to the root of the problem is, is the fact that this place that is holy, that has been made sacred and worth of something, is now just a McDouble from McDonald's on Sunday morning. The offering that they place upon the altar is just haphazard and lukewarm faith. They're not even bothering to bring something of their own. They just buy whatever's cheap and easy at the, at the front door. See, this is, this is a problem for Jesus. It's also a problem for us. How often do we find ourselves trying to figure out what to do to make it more appealing and what do we do to make what we do something awesome and and, and more acceptable to the masses. The reality is, is what we do here is not fun. It's hard. It's painful. We're asking God to forgive us of our sins. We have a lot of them. We live in a world that is 100% angry all the time. Have you thought about this? And we're a part of that, whether we want to admit it or not. When we allow these things to take over our souls like poison, as it takes over our hearts and our minds, there's this other aspect of this story where he, he's just, you can see it. It's like he was walking along and then all of a sudden, finally he is just at it. This is the place that God walked. Why did you put a McDonald's in the court of Gentiles? Of course he's angry. This is his father. This is the person that has made promises to all of these people and they've just turned it into whatever's quick and easy lukewarm now it's easy for us in the institutional church to come close to how the outrage that Jesus feels it's easy for us to find ways of being angry because we're not able to keep up with the the Joneses in any way shape or form because what we do is not what the world does want you to come here and feel the presence of God. That's supposed to be a soothing place. That's supposed to be a peaceful place. It's supposed to be one of those moments that we come here and we feel comfortable. Comfortable in the sense that God's going to challenge us, yeah. Comfortable in the sense that we're going to be Un- uncomfortable for just a moment, but then there's a, a, a moment, the, the, the ending of the story, right? Where we recognize that Jesus, even in spite of all of these things, gives up his life to forgive us of those sins. Hopefully, in the midst of that moment, find a little bit of peace in the chaos. John really likes to get us thinking. But a lot of times we think that this is not our problem. A lot of times we think that this is is for somebody else. It's for another person because I don't do that. We have to be careful as to what what we do here on Sunday morning. We have to recognize that it has the same amount of power as God stepping foot on earth for the Jewish culture where the temple was. We have to recognize that we can come here and we can be changed and that is uncomfortable. We have to come to this place recognizing that God is going to come here and do something about the rest of the world and we are able to lay our griefs and burdens with God know that God hears us. And how do we know that? Because of the gift of Jesus Christ. That gift is the greatest gift of all time. We're not worthy of that gift. And yet, yet Jesus gives us, God gives it to us freely. There is an a an awkwardness to the way that we have to do things today. But the message is still the same. The ways that we come to it are the same. We move to a place where the church shares how we must be careful on one hand to be clear about what worship is about. And we have to be able to be clear about our willingness to engage The outside world. But they can be different, you see. It's not a mutual symbiotic way. When we come here, we feel the presence of God. When we walk out those doors, you are the presence of God. You see the difference? You become the image of Christ to the world. Yeah, it's okay to be upset. About the the reasons we get these things wrong. But remember, you are still the image of Jesus. And everybody's watching you, whether you want to believe it or not. We have the ability to bring peace in the chaos. And it's really hard which is why we have to talk about this during Lent. This is why we ask God to forgive us. This is why we plan all of these extra worship services and 24-hour prayer vigils because we know that we can't do it alone. That we have to do it with community. That we have to be together in one way or another. And we don't have to agree on everything. No, that's not the point. The point is is that when we come here, we still have a connection to God. Which means that we can love one another even if we disagree with one another. Because if God loved us so much, that he gives us his only son so that all those that believe in him shall inherit eternal life. That means all. Even if we agree to disagree. The trick is to find a way to do it in the image of Christ and in the likeness of Christ. Maybe not necessarily upturning tables and Homeland. But in the moment, we find our place in our moments of connection in the things that we do in worship. That's the place that we feel the presence of God and the divine. And yeah, it's quite a bit of chaos. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.